Hey everyone, um, we've been on the series uh, called The Man in the Mirror over the last few weeks. And if uh, this is your first time uh, watching uh, this series or it's the first time you're joining us, um, we, I want to encourage you to uh, go back, after watching this, go back to the, uh, the previous messages that, I, that we've preached uh, and so that you can uh, understand the context of what I'm talking about today. And, and in, in this series, The Man in the Mirror, we're really revealing who this man in the mirror is. And last week we spoke about Jesus uh, the resurrected Jesus, the risen and exalted Jesus, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is the man in the mirror. And uh, we, we, this, this series is about discovering your identity. It's about discovering who you are in Christ. And last week we spoke about uh, that, that you are uh, the, a new creation in Christ Jesus. Uh, the old is gone and behold, all things have become new. And those people who put their faith in, in Jesus, this resurrected Jesus, not Jesus, not infant Jesus, not Jesus of Nazareth, not Jesus the rabbi, uh, but Jesus who, who is risen and exalted. I'm not saying all those uh, that Jesus uh, who walked the earth is not a, not a true, is uh, uh, not true, but actually it is true. But God wants us to behold and become who he is today. And that's the new creation. We're on this, on this series of discovering who the new creation is in Christ. Uh, and you know, I recollected a uh, uh, while while I was um, uh, thinking about today's message, uh, I was uh, and, and about the series that we're on. Uh, I, I recollected a fairy tale that we uh, that we knew as children. You know, it's uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, and and in that fairy tale, uh, most of us know it. Um, in that fairy tale. Uh, you know the, the the queen goes to a mirror uh, every time and asks the mirror, mirror, mirror on the wall, who is the fairest of them all? Uh, and without fail, the mirror would always reply and say, "You, O queen, are the fairest of them all." Until one day, Snow White appeared on the scene. And the mirror replied to the queen and said, Snow White is the fairest of them all. The question I have for you is, what do you see in your mirror? What do you see in your mirror? Because we interpret what we see according to who we are. We interpret what we see in the mirror according to what we believe uh, or what our mind believes about us. And really, today I want to talk about a mirror called grace. We can look at, we can look at mirrors uh, in our lives and, and we can look at it and uh, we can see that the mirror really tells us whether we are fat, whether we're thin, you know, whether we're beautiful, whether we have blemishes on our face. Whatever uh, it is, a mirror is just a reflection of who we are. And right now, you know, when we go into a mirror, our mind if our mind is not renewed with the word of God, if our mind is not renewed according to our identity in Christ, we will interpret what we see according to an old mindset. And so today I want to talk about another mirror, a mirror called grace. That's the title of my message, a mirror called grace. When you look into a mirror called grace, what is it that you see? 
Some of us go to a mirror and we, 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 we look at the mirror uh, as Christians. We go into uh, and look into the mirror uh, of God's word and we, we expect God's word or the mirror to tell us that we are beautiful. We are, are handsome. You know, we are perfect. We have lost all our weight, you know, even though we haven't lost all our weight. Uh, and and we, we expect God to tell us or to affirm our humanity. But in the new covenant, the new creation, when you look into the mirror of grace, the mirror of grace does not affirm your humanity. But the mirror of grace reveals your divinity according to the provision that God has made for you. I'm going to repeat that again. The mirror called grace does not affirm your humanity but only reveals the provision of divinity that God has made for you and for me. Which means when you go to the mirror of grace, you can't see the flaws of humanity. This is powerful. When you look into the mirror called grace, you can't see the flaws, your flaws or somebody else's flaws. But the only thing that you actually see in a mirror called grace is Christ, the new creation being revealed. It's the glory that is being revealed to you and me. It's the glory of of the Son. It's the glory of the only begotten of the Father. It's the glory of Jesus, the resurrected King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And that is who God reveals to us in the mirror called grace. I would love for you to open your Bibles to John chapter 3. And we'll read from verses 1 to 3, and then we'll read from 13 to 16. Verse 1 says this, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, who was a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We're talking today about seeing. We're talking about looking into this glass or this mirror called grace. All right? So, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a he was a, a, a learned man. He was a he was a ruler of the Jews, which means he's a man in authority. And he comes to Jesus by nighttime, and he's talking to Jesus now. And he he he, he acknowledges Jesus as a rabbi. You must be you must understand that these people choose their words very carefully he frames the sentences of his word in such a, of his words in such a way that really reveals to jesus that this man is still under the law which he was he was a pharisee uh, and pharisees knew the torah uh, to the t and he comes to jesus and he says rabbi which means a teacher we know that you are a teacher from God. And no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. You must understand, this man is under the law. And this man 
because he's under the law he can only look into the mirror of the law he can only see Jesus this is very important he can only see Jesus through the law so he addresses he acknowledges Jesus as a rabbi a teacher humanity he's addressing his human nature that and he acknowledges that Jesus is doing some phenomenal signs he's doing some miracles signs and wonders and all of that stuff and and people are following him and he's eager to know about Jesus he's eager to know and learn from Jesus because he acknowledges him as a teacher now you must understand that the israelites or the jews have experienced through the generations have experienced god with us and that's why they experience signs wonders and miracles they have not experienced god in us for jesus it was god in us but for the pharisee it was god with us a lot of times we and i've said this many times as well and christians say it a lot of a lot of times god i love your your presence with us your presence is here with us without acknowledging that you are god's presence or divinity in itself has taken residence on the inside of you and me and when that happens when you walk into the room god walked into the room when you sat down on the chair god sat down on that chair now i'm not saying that you are god i'm just saying that you are made in the image and likeness of god you are being transformed into the image and likeness of god you're a new creation you're a new species the old man the humanity side of you that is gone and behold you are a new creation which means which means god now has inhabited this new creation and is functioning as god on the earth all right so we must understand that when Nicodemus comes and addresses Jesus he addresses him according to his human nature but Jesus when Jesus begins to to respond to him he begins to reveal he takes him on a an adventure really to reveal that Jesus is not according to a human being he is not a Uh, uh, according to human nature he's not according to he's not part of humanity but he's a new creation so to that jesus responds uh, to nicodemus and he says this in verse 3 <clears throat> most assuredly i say to you unless one is born again he cannot see the kingdom of god it's a very profound statement to someone who acknowledges you below the standard that God has created you. I really believe that the new creation is a is a species on its own that God has designed the new creation in such a way that if you live below its standard you are dishonoring the designer of the new creation. This is a phenomenal thing because Christianity or Christians have lived as normal human beings after receiving the Holy Spirit after receiving the divine nature after becoming new creations in Christ Jesus we settle for less and we settle to live a a less lifestyle compared to what God has called us to live and the new creation ladies and gentlemen is is not of this world you are born again which means you are born from above that word born again means that you have been uh, uh you are begotten of the father you are begotten of god himself jesus was the first 
of many sons, which means every, Jesus was the first one. So the heavenly seed came in, in, uh, from, from the father and it came in the mouth of an angel when he spoke to Mary. And when Mary received the seed, it, the word came into her and Jesus began to grow on the inside of her. Now that exact, that same model is used even till today. We all get saved or we're all born again into the kingdom. We have a second birth, so to say by receiving the seed, the word of God into our hearts and it germinates on the inside of us and begins to transform us into divinity from the inside out. And so Jesus is saying this, that unless you are born from above, unless you are a dual being, which means that, that, that you are in heaven and on earth at the same time, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Which means you cannot see Jesus as he is. Unless you are born again. Born again is not a Christian denomination, ladies and gentlemen. Born again is our rebirth experience of heaven coming and transforming us, transforming humanity and, and bringing about a new species into the earth. I really believe that if you live below the standard of the new creation that God has designed for us, I really believe that you are dishonoring the designer of the new creation. So Jesus says this to him, that you cannot see. The issue that Nicodemus had was that he saw Jesus as a human being. But Jesus is trying to communicate to him and say, listen, I'm not just a normal human being now. There's a change that has taken place. I have the Holy Spirit. Yes, I was a human being. But when the Holy Spirit came upon me, it transformed me into a new creation. And so the new creation now does not have God with him. He has God in him. And this is very important that we, when we, in the old days, when we used to, you know, believe that when we used to sing, we, we sing songs that we praise God and we worship him, that God's presence comes into the room. Uh, it, it, when you understand, when you look into the mirror called grace, you don't see that God comes into the room, but actually God comes out of you into the room. God manifests his presence from his temple out into the world. And so he says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. To be born again means that you have received the seed of God. The seed is very powerful because Jesus manifested into humanity. He was the invisible word that became visible because the seed was received by Mary. This is powerful. So divinity and humanity together created the new creation. God created you, God took humanity, an old temple, and he brought in his divinity into that old temple, and he recreated the old temple and produced a new creation. This is very important for us to understand. I want you now to go to verse 13. But before that, I want to say this, that Jesus 
what Jesus was addressing to Nicodemus was that if you are born from above, the way you see changes according to your renewed identity. The way you see life, the way you see Jesus, before you see life, the way you look at Jesus himself completely changes. When your mind is renewed according to your new identity, the way you see Jesus is in grace and not according to the law. This will make a lot more sense as we get into the word. So if your identity, if you're writing notes, write this down. If your identity is secure as the new creation, then how you see changes what you believe. And what you believe reveals a greater glory in you. All right, I'll repeat it again. If your identity is secure as the new creation in Christ, then how you see changes what you believe. And what you believe reveals a greater glory in you. So verse 13 says, No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven. And that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. I'm going to repeat that again. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. Now, Jesus is is communicating to Nicodemus and he's saying, no one from the earth went to heaven and then came down and became the new creation. He's revealing his nature. He's revealing our nature to us. He says the new creation was was born or the new creation was created by God coming down, the seed coming down from heaven. And now that seed became what he terms it as the son of man. That word son over there in Greek is the word huios or the manifest son. And the word man over there is humanity. So which means God, God's divine nature came and dwelt into humanity and transformed humanity into a new creation. And Jesus was the first of many of them. In fact, there are billions and millions of them around the world who are new creation. But it's just that we don't know that this is our identity, right? And then he says this, the son of man who is in heaven. This is the first time God created a, 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 a brought in a new creation that is a that is a being of two realms at the same time. A, a, the, the new creation is in heaven and on earth at the same time. And Jesus or the new creation is the one who bridges the gap between both of them. So the Bible says in the book of Ephesians that uh, that we are seated in Christ with Christ in heavenly places. We are seated in Christ and with Christ in heavenly places. And the Bible also talks about how Christ is in us on the earth. We are, so we're two-part beings living on the earth right now. And our purpose is to bring transformation. But then he goes on to say in verse 14. Now, this is where we're going to go deep, okay? And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so 
must the son of man, the son of man be lifted up. Okay, so he's talking about now his purpose on the earth. His purpose on the earth is that Jesus needs to be lifted up. Okay, Jesus needs to be lifted up. But he talks about Moses and how Moses lifted up the bronze serpent in the wilderness. John chapter 1 and verse 17 says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This is John chapter 1 and verse uh, 17. Jesus is saying that as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must also be lifted up. Moses was the one who brought in the law. So God brought in the law through Moses. So Jesus is talking about Moses now as the law. He's saying the law, the law, lifted up the serpent in the wilderness and even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Which means it was not your sin that put Jesus on the cross. It was the law that put Jesus on the cross. This is very important because it changes a lot of things in how we've believed. So what's the story? In, in, in the book of Numbers chapter 21, we see that the Israelites were getting hungry again. Okay, the, this, this, the stomach was the main issue. They started getting hungry and, and, and they started getting impatient and they started grumbling against Moses and God. And so God now gets upset with them and sends in fiery snakes, serpents amongst the people. And, and so some of the people started getting bit, bitten by these snakes and they started dying. So Moses goes to God and says, God, we have sinned. Uh, and, and a long story short, God says, okay, take, make a fiery serpent and put it on a pole. And anyone who looks at the serpent, right, will live. Okay, so Moses goes and he, he makes a serpent out of bronze and he puts it on this pole and whoever saw the serpent in that moment, the Bible says, was revived or recovered. They were dying and they got healed or recovered. Now, Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the serpent, who was Moses? He was the one who brought in the law. So the, as the law lifted up the serpent what was the serpent it was the very thing that was killing them so their sin right their sin was lifted up on the cross it, their sin was lifted up on the pole but what lifted up the pole it was the law so in the in the old testament according to the law when people looked at the law they recovered from their dying which means there was a glory, there was a life that was released to those people in that moment because they, they saw themselves, they saw their sin and in a way it was a form of repentance. They acknowledged that they were sinners and it was in that moment that they got healed. This is very, very important for us because Jesus is saying in the same way that Moses lifted up the serpent so the Son of Man must be lifted up. But in the mirror, when you look in the mirror of grace, what, how do you see yourself? 
When you look at the cross, do you see yourself as a sinner? Do you see your sin being reflected on the cross? Do you see the, the sin that, is, that, is, that, that, that you're paying the wages of sin, which is death? You're, you're seeing that sin on that cross. Or are you seeing a savior on that cross? The, Jesus is saying, he's not saying that, hey, listen, I am your sin. He is saying, I am your grace. When you look at me on the cross, don't look at me with sin in your mind. Look at me as if it is finished on the cross. See, grace is the finished work of Jesus on the cross. If the work has been finished, Jesus, when he was hanging on the cross and he's just about to die, he says, it is finished. Which means the work that Jesus came to do is finished. I want to let you know this, that when the Israelites looked at the, at the serpent on that, on that pole, they saw themselves, they saw their sin. So the, the law was a mirror of your sin. And the more you looked at the mirror of the law as you, uh, and you saw your sin in it, you walked away condemned, guilty, and you only sinned constantly because you never saw hope. You never saw a savior. You never saw grace. And in, when Jesus hung on that cross, and Jesus is saying, hey, even uh, my, my purpose is to be lifted up. Why? He's, he's, not, he's drawing a parallel, not an actuality. He's just saying, just like Moses lifted up that serpent, even I, the son of man, the Huyos son, the new creation son, this son who is from above, who has come here and is about to bring change into the world, has come to introduce, I've come to introduce the finished work that God has already forgiven you of your sin. Come on, man. This is powerful. If you look at the cross of Jesus Christ as a sinner, that means you're still under the law. Because the law tells you that you're a sinner. The law put Jesus on the cross. But if you look at Jesus according to your sin, ladies and gentlemen, you will walk away from the cross feeling condemned, guilty. It was my sin that put Jesus on that cross. It was, it was not your sin that put Jesus on the cross. It was the law that put Jesus on the cross. Why? It's because Jesus... The Bible says that he became the sin. He took on the sin of the world, which means he, the, the world's sin was compounded onto Jesus. The aggregate of the world's sin, he took on, on himself and the law put him on that cross. Now, I want you to go to Exodus chapter 24 and I want to show you this. This is such a beautiful story. Exodus 24, this is the moment when Jesus was giving the law uh, to Moses. And I want to I read a verse right now. And I want to show you something that's so phenomenal. That we've missed it. But now, as a church, we won't miss it. We'll fully understand what God is trying to tell us. Exodus 24, and I want you to read verse 12 with me. And it says this. Then the Lord, okay, said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and be there. And I will give you tablets of stone 
and the law and commandments which I have written that you may teach them. We've always thought that Moses went to meet God and he came back with the law and commandments. But actually Moses went there to get three things. The tablets of stone, the law and the commandments. It's very powerful. So, so Moses goes up this mountain now and the mountain is full of the glory of God. There's a cloud there and he's, he's on the mountain there for six days, no encounter with God. On the seventh day, it says that the glory of God rested on Mount Sinai. This is verse 16. And the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Right? Now, chapter 25 and verse 1. Okay? It says this. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering and then he goes on to give him the law and the commandments he speaks to Moses and he gives him the law and the commandments doesn't write anything he doesn't write on the tablets of stone now I want you to go to chapter 31 and verse 18, look at this, this is phenomenal. So God now has spoken to Moses and it's been 40 days, 40 nights and he's giving him the law, he's giving him the commandments, giving him the law, giving, this is what you need to do and this is what you need to do, this is what, this is what it is, this, this is the law, this is the commandments, all that. He's just given all of that instruction to him. Verse 18. And when he had made an end of speaking with him on Mount Sinai. Look at this. He gave Moses two tablets of the testimony, not the commandments. Tablets of stone written with the finger of God. Ah, this is phenomenal. I want you to, to put your Bible down because I'm going to share something that is really awesome. I believe that God told Moses, come up, I want to give you three things. I want to give you the tablets of stone, I want to give you the commandments, and I want to give you the law. But then here, he gives him two tablets of the testimony. The two stone that, that God wrote with his own finger on, the thing that he gave to Moses was a tablet of testimony. We have a New Testament and an Old Testament. What, is, what does a testimony mean? It means that something has been done and now we're talking about it. Oh, come on. This is power. If you get it, this would be phenomenal. So God speaks the law and the commandments. He tells Moses about it. And then he writes his testimony of the work that is already done. Oh, this is phenomenal. This is absolutely phenomenal. Now, I want you to go to chapter 32 and verse 15. And it says this, And Moses turned and went down from the mountain, and the two tablets of 
testimony. Is it in your Bible? It is in your Bible. Okay? The two tablets of testimony were in his hand. Look at this. The tablets were written on both sides. And on the one side and on the other, they were written. Now, I want you to read verse 16 with me. Now, the tablets were the work of God. It was the finished work of God. And the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. God spoke to Moses the law and the commandments that he had already finished. It was already done. The work for it was already done, which means it was his standard of righteousness. It was his law. It was his commandments that he already kept. This is powerful. This is in the Old Testament. The law was already accomplished. It was already finished. How can God give you, how can a good father give you a law that he did not keep himself? That he did not already accomplish. You must understand. Jesus is saying that if you are from above, right? It means that you are outside of time. So God, who is outside of time, had already finished the work of the law. The law was already fulfilled. And he gave Moses two tablets, two stones of the testimony that he had already finished the work. But Moses took the tablets of stone, took the testimony, and he was coming down the mountain. Now, God told him, go to Israel, the people, and teach them this. What? That his work was already finished. That it was a work of grace. God did not even tell Moses the first time. Moses, take a hammer and a chisel and I want you to write now. Just you, if you go through the law and the commandments. Oh my gosh, it's quite a lot. It's like three chapters. I don't think it will, it will fit on tablets of stone. But what God wanted Israel to have was the evidence this is the, I love this book because it is the evidence. It's a testament. It's a testimony that God has finished the work. This is powerful. It was this one moment. It was this mistake that Moses made that completely took a generation, God's people living under the law. Just this one misunderstanding. Just this one issue that Moses had. And so there was a big noise. Moses now is 40 days on the mountain. Nobody knows when he's going to come back. And Israel now is getting impatient. And so they make, they take all their gold and they make an idol, a calf, and they start worshiping. And there's this huge, huge party happening downstairs. And Joshua is with Moses. And, and he says, hey, I think there's a sound of victory. And Moses says, that's not a sound of victory. That's a sound of defeat. You must understand Moses just had an encounter with the finished work of God. He experienced God's righteousness. He experienced God's holiness. And he's coming down a mountain. He's heard the law. He's heard the law of God. He's coming down the mountain now. 
And the first thing he does is he judges people. He's got the tablets with him, the tablets of the finished work. And he comes down the mountain and he takes the tablets of grace, the finished work, and he breaks it at the foot of the mountain. And then he goes to the people and he judges them because they've sinned. See, law, when you have the law in you, it causes you to judge yourself and also judge the sins of people around you. But when you look into the mirror of grace, he had the mirror of grace with him. He was holding those tablets, the testimony that God had finished the work. He was holding it right there. He could have only peeped and looked at it. It would have completely changed how Moses looked at the people of Israel. The people of Israel were in desperate need. They needed a touch from God. And that's why they they looked at a calf. And they said, okay, let's worship something. They desired to worship God. See, in grace, it completely changes your mind. It completely changes the way you look at people. We think that, oh, you know, you're gone to a temple. You're gone to a mosque. You're gone here. You're gone there too. But we we need to look at it as people desiring to worship God. This is so beautiful. We can't judge people. We can't judge other religions. We can't judge other people the way they worship. We have to look at it from the lens of grace that they are striving for something that, we, that God has already finished. It's the finished work of the, of the cross. And we can't judge people according to what they're doing. Moses came and he judged them. And here's something that you must understand. That day... Because Moses judged people under the law. That day, 3,000 people died. 3,000 people died. Because one man decided to break grace and choose the mirror of the law. He broke the mirror of grace and he chose the mirror of the law. And he chose to, every time people sinned, He would lift up that mirror and say, this is what the law says. And people would look at the law and they would feel condemned. They would feel judged. And you must understand that entire generation that came out of Egypt never made it into the promised land. An entire generation that God set free by his grace. Because people decided to live under the law. When we choose to look at people, when we look at our lives, when we look at when we look at pastors, we look at leaders, we look at churches, we look at all of these things. When we are under the law, if you are judging people, then you are under the law. But when you're in grace, even if they're not Christians, you don't see their flaws. Wow. This is powerful. 3,000 people died that day. We'll get deeper into the story next week, but I want you to go back to John chapter 3 again. Three thousand people died that day. And in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit fell upon the people. Now the Bible calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of grace. 
When the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples, what were they doing? They were waiting in an upper room, like the mountaintop. They were waiting upon God, upon the Lord in the upper room. And it was in that moment that the Holy Spirit came and 120 of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. One man who was a new creation was multiplied in an instant into 120 people. The first people to experience the new birth, the born again experience, were the disciples in the upper room. And the first thing that Peter did was he stepped out and he spoke. The message that he spoke, the Holy Spirit moved upon the people. What drew the people to the upper room? It was not that the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. It was the sound. It was a grace move. It was the finished work of the cross. It was, it was when the Holy Spirit came to the earth for the first time. People heard the sound of a mighty rushing wind and they came to where the sound was. It was a work of grace. Evangelism should be a work of grace. And Peter just opened his mouth and spoke. And that day, 3,000 people were saved. You must understand, the law kills. Grace gives life. That you must understand, grace, the mirror of grace, is an ever-increasing glory. The first time a person, the the people got saved were 3,000 people. And then it began. Then it became 5,000 people. Until today, millions and millions and millions of people are becoming new new creations in Christ Jesus because of the mirror called grace. Now, I want you to come back to John chapter 3 and we'll read verse 15 again. So Jesus says, Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Verse 15. That whoever... Now I studied this word in the Greek. It has a very deep meaning. It means whoever. (laughs) Whoever... Believes in him. Not that they are sinners. I hope you get it. Whoever believes in him. What did he bring? He brought grace and truth. Grace is the finished work. Truth is the word of God. Jesus did not bring the law. Jesus does not condemn you. Jesus does not convict you even. Jesus does not tell you that you are guilty of sin. That is the law in you. Whoever believes in him should not perish. What happened to the Israelites? Even though they repented, even though they They acknowledged that they were sinners. Pay attention. Even though they acknowledged that they were sinners, they still perished in the wilderness. But Jesus is saying, whoever believes, not confesses his sin, whoever believes in him, grace and truth, should not perish, but have eternal life. What is eternal life? 
Eternal life is who God is. Eternal life means that it has no beginning and therefore has no end. And so Jesus is saying, if you believe in him as grace, if you believe in him as grace and truth, the finished work, finished, not Jesus before the cross, but Jesus after the cross, it is finished. When you believe in Jesus, that Jesus, now you don't experience perishing, but you experience eternal life. You enter into a realm that is God. And God, eternal life, enters into you. Which means that there, there is no beginning for God and there is no end for God. He He's unending. He's not limited by time or space. He, he's, he's, in a, he's in a perpetual state of himself. He cannot be controlled. He cannot be subdued. But then Jesus goes on to say, it feels like Jesus is repeating himself again, but actually he's drawing a contradiction between Moses and his father. He's drawing a contradiction between the law and love, law and grace. And I want to show you this in verse 16 says this, For God so loved the world. Moses lifted up the serpent because he did not love the people. The law only reveals your sin. It doesn't love you. It's a mirror, just mirror. But your interpretation depends on what you believe. So Jesus is saying, whoever believes him. Whoever believes him, puts his faith in him. Whoever sees him as grace and truth should not perish but have eternal life. For God, his father who is in heaven, so loved the world that he gave the finished work to you and me. This is powerful. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. His only begotten son. Through Jesus came grace and truth. His only begotten son. But he did it not because he looked at your sin. Not because you needed a savior. No. He looked at it, looked at you because he loves you. He looked at you not because, oh, you know, these people, I need to make them a new creation, so I'm going to send my son as a new creation. No, he did not do that. He did it because he sent his son because he loves you. So that whoever, again, believes in him, the new creation, the who your son, Grace and truth, the revelation of grace and truth, the glory of God should not perish but have everlasting life. There's a slight difference between eternal life and everlasting life. I explained eternal life, uh, everlasting, uh, eternal life a little bit earlier. But everlasting life is eternal life but it has a beginning. But it has no end. 
This is powerful. Eternal life, everlasting life means that you had a beginning. But somewhere down the line of your life, you experienced the love of a good father. And it caused you to look at Jesus, not as Jesus on the cross, not as Jesus as a good guy, not as Jesus as a healer, not as Jesus as a miracle worker, not as Jesus as a teacher. But it caused you to look at Jesus according to the finished work. Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets. Which means there is no more law for you to fulfill. Jesus has completed it. He was the fulfillment of it. And it is, if you are beginning to understand God's grace, if you look at Jesus today and the sin that you're seeing yourself as a sinner, that means the law is leading you to Jesus. But if you're looking at Jesus as the finished work, it's done. As a new creation, you're looking at Jesus as the resurrected King of Kings. You're looking at Jesus as grace and truth. Now, the love of God has brought you to Jesus. This is the most powerful thing that we have experienced in a grace revelation. The mirror of grace, when you look at the mirror of grace, when you look at the word of God, when you look at Jesus, who does he reveal? Does he reveal your sins? Because if he's revealing your sins, then you are still under the law. But if he reveals to you that your sin has been paid for, that the sin of the whole world has already been paid for. That you're not a sinner anymore, but you're a son. If he constantly, even if you make a mistake, there's an error in your life and you're looking at the word and you are, you're seeing that, my God, I'm a son, I'm a son, I'm a son. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am justified. I am holy. I am blameless. If you're looking at yourself, even in your error, you're looking at it, then you're in grace. You're not a sinner. You're in grace. For God, verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through grace and truth, through him, might be saved. God's desire for you and me, in fact, God's desire for humanity itself is to be transformed into divinity so that you can experience the finished work. God's finished work. He's already made the provision for the new creation. He's already finished everything that the law says that you need to finish. All the penalties that you need to pay 
He's already finished it. It's the finished work. He's given us a testament. It's called a new testament. But this testament is not just written in, in ink on pages, but this testament is written on our hearts. It confirms to us. He's given us his Holy Spirit, the spirit of grace that confirms to us that God is our father. That we are of the seed of God. If we can change the way we think, if we can renew our minds with this revelation, ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, you will look at the world completely differently. You will not look at the world according to the sins of the world. You will look at the world with a, that, that is crying out with a, with, with a need for the finished work. It's crying out with a need for, for a savior who has completed everything already. You know, I want to I encourage you that when you are praying, when you are communicating with God, don't approach God with sin. Don't approach God as a, as a person who is a sinner, as a person who is sick. Because if you're approaching God as a, as a person who is sick, then your sickness is the one who's leading you to Jesus. Approach God. Approach Jesus. Approach grace and truth because you are loved. This is a, a whole new dimension for us as the church. That we approach, we approach one another not because of a need but because we love one another. We approach the world not because we need something from the world or the world needs to take something from us. We approach the world, people in the world, people in your offices, people in your college, people in the university. We approach them because we love them. And I want to encourage you to pray like I'm about to pray right now. This is my prayer that I'm inviting you into. This is the language of grace that I want to invite you into right now. And I want, to, I want you to, to pray like this, the way I pray. You say, Father, I thank you that Jesus is holy. I thank you that Jesus is righteous. Jesus is blameless. Jesus is the finished work. That I don't have to strive anymore that Jesus has already finished everything. And Lord, today I fix my eyes upon you. The finished work. There is nothing that separates you and me, God. Father, I experienced your love. I know you love me. I'm confident of your love. I am your son because you have made a covenant with Jesus. Father, I thank you that you've already met all of my needs according to riches. I thank you that you've provided for everything. You've already taken care of my families. You've already paid for all the bills that are about to come. You already provided for all the needs of the church. You've already done that. But today I step into grace. I step into the finished work. I step into the inheritance that Jesus has. 
I am a co-heir with Jesus. I'm grafted into the beloved. I thank you that Jesus is experiencing your joy. The joy that you set before him, that he experienced after everything was already done. It was the finished work. And today you invite me into experiencing this joy. Abundance of joy. And Father, I thank you that 2,000 years ago you made the provision for healing. That because Jesus is in perfect health, so am I. Jesus does not put on weight. Jesus does not get gray. Jesus does not get bald. Jesus, his teeth does not rot. Jesus does not have sickness in his body. And I'm so grateful that you've grafted me into Jesus. He is the true vine and I am his branches. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus bears the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All these fruit of the Spirit Jesus already bears. Lord, you've chosen us to become a new creation in Christ. It's already done. And what a privilege it is for us to manifest Christ, the new creation through our bodies on the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you to pray like this. Pray using the language of grace. Don't go to God saying, God, I'm a sinner. I repent of my sin. God already has blotted out every sin that you've ever committed and you ever will commit. In fact, there is no more sin. If you're in grace, there is no more sin. Because Jesus has finished it. It's the finished work of Jesus on that cross. So I want to bless you. I want to declare God's abundant life over you. That this week, you will step into the blessings. You will step into the inheritance. You will step into the provision. You will step into the new creation, discovering this identity like you've never done before. We love you and we will see you next week.